Hello, I'm Harry Glorikian. Welcome to The Harry Glorikian Show, the interview podcast that explores how technology is changing everything we know about healthcare. Artificial intelligence, big data, predictive analytics. In fields like these, breakthroughs are happening much faster than most people realize. If you want to be proactive about your own healthcare and the healthcare of your loved ones, you'll need to learn some of these new tips and techniques of how medicine is changing and how you can take advantage of all the new options. Explaining this approaching world is the mission of the new book, The Future You. It's also our theme here on the show, where we bring you the conversations with innovators, caregivers, and patient advocates who are transforming the healthcare system and working to push it in positive directions. If you're a regular listener, you know I've had dozens of guests on the show who've explained how machine learning and other forms of AI are transforming healthcare. They've talked about the ways AI can find better disease treatments or help get drugs to market faster or spot health problems before they get out of hand. In a way, that's what the show is all about. But my guest this week, Brianna Brownell, thinks there are some gaps at the very core of our healthcare system where the power of AI is only beginning to be tapped. And one of those gaps is the relationship between patients and their doctors. Brownell is a data scientist and the founder and CEO of a consulting firm in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, called Pure Strategy. The company works with all sorts of clients and industries, and it's known for a package of computational tools called Annie that uses forms of AI, such as unsupervised learning and natural language processing, to find patterns in data. In the healthcare sector, Pure Strategy collects the data in the form of patients' responses to behavioral surveys. And then it looks for patterns in people's personal preferences or cultural identities that can help match them up with the best doctor for them. These patterns can also predict which patients are most likely or least likely to go along with the treatment plan. That can help doctors communicate their recommendations better and raise the chances that patients will stay out of the ER or the ICU. Brownell argues that medicine should never be completely data-driven since doctors always need to account for patients' unique life stories and preferences. But with AI, she says, providers can gather more input that helps them understand where patients are coming from and what challenges they face. All of which echoes one of the themes of The Future You, which includes several chapters about how technology is changing the relationship between us, patients, and our doctors. By the way, the book is out now in paperback and ebook formats at Barnes & Noble and Amazon, so please check it out. And now, here's my full conversation with Brianna Brownell. Brianna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, Brianna, I've I've like read about what you've done. I've watched the, you know, the the TED Talk you had given and seen you win awards and so forth, but I want to step back for everybody here and sort of so they understand who you are, where you came from. And, you know, if you can give us sort of a high level biography of yourself, how you got to this point in your career where you're building computational tools to help doctors and patients. How did all of that start? You know, where did you grow up? What did you study? You know, what what are the experiences sort of shaped you to go in this direction? Because 
you didn't start off in healthcare. That's true. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've had really kind of a roundabout uh, career, certainly. Uh, the first job that I got um, after my undergraduate degree in mathematics was in finance, um, which was wonderful. Uh, but I started in 2006, which I'm sure you know what's happening next. <laughs> the global financial crisis happened next, right? Uh, and so that was my very first sort of, um, you know, start in the work world. And um, after that, I actually got into more of the um, data science area, which was amazing for me because I was always interested in data, always interested in mathematics. But at the time, nobody had ever really heard of data science. Nobody had ever really been all that interested in analytics. And so I found that, you know, my job was so bizarre to just about everybody that I met. And so you can't imagine how excited I am when now data science is on everyone's mind and, you know, artificial intelligence is, you know, a huge industry now. Um, so I feel like, you know, I started somewhere very strange, but, you know, the world kind of came back to realize how interesting it really was. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when I was, when I came up with the idea for my first book, it was, you know, at least five years before it published, maybe even six, where it was like, oh my God, we're, it's the datafication of healthcare. Like, once we get that data, like, oh my God, we're going to be able to like analyze it and then find opportunities and see patterns and longitudinal. And I was like, but I don't hear anybody talking about that. So that's what I got me excited to write that first one. But tell us about your company. It's called Pure Strategy, which reminds me of sort of strategy consulting, which was my, you know, my, one of my last companies that I had. But, you know, what do you do, you do for your clients? What do you what do you sink your teeth into? So, um, you know, first of all, the name. So Pure Strategy is a game theory reference. So I, I actually have a, a master's in economics. And so it's a little bit of a nerdy game theory reference and so every okay. time i meet someone else who took game theory you know we have a little bit of a um, eye to eye with with the name of the company but um so the reason we named it that is a pure strategy um gives you a way forward uh, regardless of what um, your opposition does so you always know the best thing to do next and so you know with that philosophy um, is, you know, how we approach all kinds of different problems. So what kind of data, what kind of information do companies need to make decisions about how to better serve their customers, what markets to enter, um, you know, how to invest their money properly, all of those kinds of things. I need to study pure strategy just to manage my wife and kids. That, that, so I know what to do every time something happens. But your core product at Pure Strategy is something you call um, Automated Neural Intelligence Engine, or Annie. And what is Annie built to do? So Annie has, um, you know, a few different components to it. Um, the reason that we built um, this intelligence system is because what I found was, as a data scientist, a lot of the things that I was doing by hand could be much uh, better done with an automated AI system. And so I began to look at the 
um, sort of time intensive but lower value tasks that could be tackled by artificial intelligence. And so uh, we have a suite of four modules within that system uh, that makes data analysis easier, faster, better, um, all of those good things. And so, you know, working with language, for example, working with prediction, working with choice modeling, and then uh, working to find emergent patterns in data that you didn't even know to look for. Okay, so NLP-based predictive capabilities, um, but sort of step back for a second. So focus in a little bit on, on say, the clients in pharma and healthcare, because that's the constituency that generally listens to this. Um, what kind of problems are you helping them solve? So if you had a few concrete examples. For sure. So. Um, one of the areas that we find it's extremely useful is to understand typologies of patients and physicians and understanding how their values and attitudes um, impact their decision making. So not everybody makes decisions in the same way. Not everybody values the same things. Um, but by understanding some of those psychological and value-based drivers, uh, we can get better healthcare outcomes. So um, we can look at what are the motivating factors in uh, the patient group? Why are they um, being readmitted? Why are they not adhering to their treatment plan? Why are they, you know, doing things like delaying appointments, canceling appointments, those kinds of things. And then we can um, understand why they're making those decisions and hopefully sort of uh, break the negative patterns and encourage the positive patterns so that um, they are healthier, they live you know, longer, healthier lives, and um, that their everyday life is um, improved as a result. Interesting. I was, I, when you first started explaining it, I, my brain was going towards a dating app, like making sure I put the right doctor and the right patient together. So that's that's a, a big part of it, actually. Um, so because um, certain physicians have um, a worldview of their role as a healthcare provider, um, they need to be able to uh, match their um, sort of delivery and, and their communication with a patient uh, with the way that the patient can best understand it. So some physicians are very sort of science-based um, and focusing on, you know, what are the cutting edge, um, cutting edge things that are happening in my field? And, you know, do I want to sort of use those uh, with my patients to um, add to their treatment plan, for example, whereas some other physicians are more um, looking at the sort of holistic care aspect where, um, you know, the patient is the center of a huge ecosystem of, you know, other health impact factors. And, you know, so how do they um, treat that patient as sort of um, an entire person, right? And so definitely matching, uh, you can imagine certain patients want certain kinds of doctors, right? So, you know, I'm the kind of person that I want to get in there and get out and, you know, give me the information and that's fine, right? Uh, but that that's not for everybody. Um, and so by treating both the patient group and the physician group um, as having their own individual sort of 
beliefs and, and nuances within their worldview can really, really help things. So essentially, like I'm, I'm simplifying dramatically, but we are talking about the fundamental functions of a sort of a dating app, at least for that application area. That's right. Um, yes. So it is a, a lot like a dating app. Yep. But so if I understood, because I was trying to listen to some of the things you had done and, and you guys have written around it, basically you're trying any sort of helps lower the cultural barriers between patients and the medical system to make sure they get better care. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's so, a great way to put it. That sort of feels like a, a somewhat other than the dating aspect of it, right? That feels like an unconventional problem for a computer science approach to tackle. I mean, we've had a lot of startup CEOs on the show talking about machine learning to sort genomes, chemical libraries to discover new drugs. Um, but I don't think I've ever had anybody necessarily on that's trying to use AI to bridge a cultural gap. So love to hear more about, you know, that issue. Like, did you set out from day one to do this? I mean, you, you know, you've said in past interviews, it feels like you've been building a case uh, that there are effective or emotional cultural issues at stake in the way doctors and patients communicate. And that if medical providers don't know about these issues, or if they get them wrong, it can get in the way of achieving the best outcome for the patient. I mean, just summarizing. So if I'm wrong, feel free to tell me. No, that, you know, that that's a, a really interesting way of putting it. And so, you know, why did we um, realize that this was, um, you know, an important way to go? Well, part of the answer to that is because early in my career, um, after the GFC, <laughs> um, before I started the company, um, I did a lot of work understanding the motivating factors um, in encouraging technology adoption for um, people who needed to mitigate climate risk. So that's a huge mouthful. Uh, but basically, we wanted to see um, what could encourage people to adapt to climate variability in um, you know, farming and mining and um, wineries and grape production, that kind of thing. Because um, being able to understand um, how people um, perceive risk to their business, um, how people understand um, technology in terms of um, it being a business um, investment, how people um, sort of copy or don't copy other people in the community who seem like, um, you know, savvy business people in their own right, um, and then adopt because of the social factor. And so um, we had seen a huge amount of success using that methodology to understand technology adoption. And so it wasn't um, too far afield to say, okay, this same kind of technique that's so successful in this other area um, would have a huge impact in the healthcare area. If we could understand some of those uh, value-based and um, you know behavioral um, elements to understand why people are making the the decisions that they're making. Um, healthcare is such a deeply personal thing that you know you really can't treat it at that surface level, and that's really what we've been doing for you know generations. We've gotten so far away from that you know doctor in in the 
uh, community who knows everyone and their family and, you know, who has that close connection. Now we've sort of taken a step back, tried to scale it up. But what we've lost is understanding how those like core values impact the decisions that you make around your own healthcare. Yeah, well, that I think, you know, in the doctor's defense, right, it's sort of tough to do that in 10 minutes, right? Um, it absolutely is. And that's, that's the problem is, you know, maybe we can eliminate um, some of those pressures and bring that up, right? Yeah, and I, and I look at sort of, if I think about your system, plus, you know, all the new technologies that are coming, like wearables and so forth. So if you go to a doctor, they can get a longitudinal view of you, plus your maybe the way that you're thinking about how you want your healthcare from the system that you're creating. But you, you mentioned, um, you know, you're solving these problems through uh, machine learning or natural language processing. Why did you feel that these were the best tools in the AI toolbox to sort of help you with this? So the um, typology creation is actually an unsupervised learning method. Um, and so the reason that that's so effective is because it doesn't um, force a pattern on the data due to the bias of the researcher. So it finds emerging patterns that are in the data that someone might necessarily uh, not know to, to look for that specific pattern. And so it's sort of you know, it doesn't care about <laughs> your or my preconceived notions about what kinds of um, attitudes and behaviors are important. Um, all of that comes directly from the data. And so um, for me, that's a huge, a really powerful reason that, um, you know, it's so effective. It's because it will find the patterns, even if, um, you know, it's not something you need to look for. So what's an example of the training data set or the, because I'm wondering, like, you've got this system, but it's looking at certain sets of data, and what would those be so that it can find those patterns? Right. So um, usually, it's a, a series of um, attitudinal um, and behavioral questions that um, the individual is sort of rating on, a, let's say, a seven-point scale. Um, and the way that we come up with that sort of battery of questions um, is a whole lot of conversations with the patient group. So um, usually you talk to um, a large number of folks and then um, patterns emerge using the natural language understanding that you can then um, quantify in order to find the typologies. So uh, we have partners to um, you know, find patients and physicians in um, specific regions with specific conditions, um, all of that so that we can target people um, to get their sort of attitudes on these uh, different areas. How do you distill all these squishy things like patient life stories, emotional states, cultural backgrounds, beliefs down into something that can be coded and categorized as data, I guess? I keep thinking about a spider graph, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's the hard part, um, you know. And I, I, you know, fully admit that it's a very challenging um, area because, um, on the one hand, you have the sort of individual story that needs to be um, understood in context, and then in the other area, you need to have um, sort of 
quantitative data that you can actually make real decisions on. And so moving from that one uh, part to the other is sort of a combination of, you know, experience of, you know, folks working with patients within that um, specific treatment area. Um, it's a combination of the sort of cutting edge understanding of um, psychology of how people interact with the healthcare system. Uh, there's a huge amount of cultural factors. We, you know, work with um, patients and physicians all around the world. And so that's always a huge um, sort of elephant in the room to make sure to add context to it. And so, you know, by combining all of these things together, then, you know, you essentially get closer and closer to um, the right answer. So I, I'm, th I'm almost thinking like there's got to be this graphical interface, right, that somebody can look at quickly. I mean, I don't know why all of a sudden a, a Myers-Briggs popped into my head. So you get an idea of what that person is like and um, how to manage them. But so you're but I've heard you talk before and, and you fundamentally believe and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it's the data plus the physician that sort of takes that to a different level. It's not just the data itself. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's the data and the physician in partnership with the patient, because, you know, at the end of the day, um, we all have a role to, to play in our own healthcare maintenance and our own um, sort of um, world through <laughs> journey through this world, I guess. Right. Um, and I think that um, by empowering the physicians to, um, you know, as we say, practice at the top of their license, um, that's really a positive thing for everyone, right? So, you know, instead of focusing on tasks that can and should be automated, um, you're really focusing on making sure that those outcomes are as good as they can be. Um, and so the support system around the patient um, is also extremely important. So, you know, you had mentioned wearables and um, some mm -hmm. of those things. So um, that is um, another area that we're involved in as well, is making sure that we have um, some of that data that can feed into um, understanding the worldview of the patient. And then in turn, um, so the physician can understand where that patient is coming from and identify whether they may be having challenges with their maintenance, for example, or with, um, you know, something at home. Yeah, I mean, I've got it. My new book is coming out um, soon. And I, you know, by putting it together, I almost feel like the, t the technology plus the physician can almost bring, get the patient to have a concierge medicine level experience without the cost of, you know, concierge medicine, right? And so um, I'm assuming your system is trying to give them that elevated level of care by giving the physician the insights that they need. But does the patient also get the same insights to get to know themselves? I'm just curious. They do. Yes. Um, and so we're um, actually looking at uh, rather than um, sort of, you mentioned the concierge level medicine, uh, we're actually looking at sort of the, the most vulnerable people uh, rather than saying, you know, who um, who needs the, the concierge service, you know, on the, on the high end, we're saying, you know, whose outcomes can we most impact? Um, and so looking at the people who are 
more vulnerable, um, who, who struggle a lot more with their healthcare, um, where we want to make sure that we avoid uh, them having to seek acute care because, you know, at the end of the day, right. nobody wants to end up in the emergency room. Nobody wants to, you know, end up in the ICU. And so anything that we can do to sort of prevent that for those people is, you know, a huge positive for that individual. Um, and not only just them, but their whole support system, their family, their friends, everybody in their community. Let's pause the conversation for a minute to talk about one small but important thing you can do to help keep the podcast going. And that's to make it easier for other listeners to discover the show by leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcast app on your smartphone, search for The Harry Glorickian Show, and scroll down to the ratings and reviews section. Tap the stars to rate the show, and then tap the link that says, write a review to leave your comments. It'll only take a minute, but you'll be doing me a huge favor. And also one more thing. If you enjoy hearing from the kinds of innovators and entrepreneurs I talk to on the show, I know you'll like my new book, The Future You, How Artificial Intelligence Can Help You Get Healthier, Stress Less, and Live Longer. It's a friendly and accessible tour of all the ways today's information technologies are helping us diagnose disease faster, treat them more precisely, and create more personalized diets and exercise programs to prevent them in the first place. The book is out in print and ebook format from Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Just go to either site and search for The Future You by Harry Glorickian. Thanks, and now back to the show. So you grew up in Canada. You went to school in Canada. You operate a business in Canada. And so I'm picking on the sort of cross-border thing, right? Because our healthcare systems are just a little different. So, But I also imagine you've worked with, you know, clients here in the U.S. and some based in Canada. Love to get your, you know, how do you think about the two systems when it comes to the implementation of a technology like yours? Because they, I feel like they come at healthcare from different, you know, vantage points. Absolutely. So um, interestingly enough, uh, we actually do work uh, not just in uh, the US, but also in Europe and also in Asia. Um, and so for that reason, there's a lot of really interesting um, cross-cultural differences in how different healthcare systems work. And so, um, you know, Canada, we have a, a single payer system and so for some, re for some areas, it's a huge positive. People aren't going broke paying their medical bills. You know, there's um, sort of more access in, um, you know, certain areas, but there are struggles. So, you know, things like remote communities, being able to um, have access to healthcare from places, for example, um, here in Northern Saskatchewan, um, it's a real challenge um, for patients to get care from some of those remote areas. Each system, I think, has um, some challenges and some benefits. And then same with, you know, the, the American system, um, you know, the advantage being that, um, you know, preventative care is actively incentivized, right? And so um, in Canada, that's not the case. So, you know, I think it's just really a, a different balance and a different trade-off. So 
so the system is designed. I almost think you need to use the system to figure out your own clients, um, so that you <laughs> you can you can yeah. understand what their uh, drivers are. But um, you know, you've you've described yourself as a data scientist, a tech entrepreneur, but I've also heard the word futurist. So I'm super curious about. Um, you know, let's talk about the future. So what do you think about the cutting edge ideas in AI? And, you know, do they really have the potential? And I know what my bias is, so I don't have to cloud your <laughs> cloud your thought with my bias. But, you know, whether it's in healthcare or business or other areas, like what are you most excited about right now? So for me, um, a lot of the interesting AI applications um, bring in decision-making and um, sort of data analysis that is completely new and different. So if you look at um, things like diagnostics, um, the diagnostic tools using different styles of AI make their decisions in a way that's different than the physicians do. So you could have an AI system uh, that's extremely accurate, but then it misses certain things that a physician will catch and then vice versa. And I think that that to me is um, one of the most interesting and most important parts is because now all of a sudden um, you can have a sort of augmented system where um, the physician can work with the technology in order to get better outcomes for everyone. Uh, so that's one area where I'm really excited. The other area um, is being able to have that personalization at scale. So um, you know, we talked about you have, you know, the community physician that, you know, knew everyone's family and um, everyone's coming and going. And so you could have that personalized care, but then we've sort of moved towards a more kind of, um, you know, data driven system where um, you didn't have that personal connection. I think we're going to go sort of back. I think we're going to um, be able to look at ways that we can personalize interactions, um, treatment plans, um, even specific medicines um, at a scale that it can really help a lot of people. What's well, interesting because I was talking to someone um, at Facebook in their AI group, and it was like their system already knows so much about you, right? And so people don't realize like, how that system truly does probably know them better than they know themselves in a, in a certain way. So I always think like, wow, if they could really like start applying that to healthcare, you, you could really make a serious difference in the lives of these individuals um, because most of healthcare is how you make your decisions and how you manage yourself and did you take your meds? Um, God, did you go for that walk you were supposed to go for? Those sorts of simple things, right? That that we all um, struggle with on a daily basis. But so another futurism question. So you gave a TEDx talk in Calgary a couple years ago where you talked about uh, research done in paradolia. If I'm yes, okay, just making sure I pronounce it correctly which is where, you know, uh, human brains tendency to see faces and random things like in the environment um, or you look in the, I think you look in the clouds and you see a dog or something, right? Um, uh, but but you, 
you tested computer vision, you found that 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 doesn't happen with the computer vision. They recognize different patterns, I guess, but not things like faces. And so from a philosophical question, do you, how do you compare like the, the, the human mind and sort of the pattern recognition that we do? Because most of what we do in medicine is a certain form of pattern recognition to systems. I, I'm just trying to figure out like, is that what differentiates an intelligent system versus versus a conscious system? So um, I would say in that case, um, it wouldn't be necessarily consciousness, um, but certainly the human brain um, works differently from the artificial intelligence systems that we've built so far. Most of the AI systems that we're building are sort of focused on one specific narrow task and it does really well at one thing but as soon as it moves outside of that or as soon as you add sort of additional kinds of media to it um, it's really really challenging so um, i think you know speaking futurism the next wave of really good ai applications are going to widen so we're really really narrow right now uh, but we're going to start to widen more and more in order to sort of combine some of this information um, and be able to sort of get uh, greater insights. So um, I'll give you an example. So um, when uh, people do um, sort of codifying data sets for image recognition, what they do is they link it to uh, what are called SIN sets. And so what a SIN set is, is um, a um, meaning, right? So if you have, let's say, you know, like a coffee mug, right? So you have a picture of this, um, you know, you say, okay, it's a mug, right? But then what if somebody else codes it as a cup? Well, so they're, they're two different things, right. right? But they're similar enough that most humans would recognize, well, that's probably sort of really similar, right? But yet when we're doing image recognition and we're training on these huge data sets, that similarity is not always taken into account. So um, more and more, we're able to make multiple linkages like that in order to improve the outcomes. But uh, right now, in a lot of cases, that's not taken into account. And so that'll be, I think the next step is we're gonna sort of widen um, some of the applications of artificial intelligence. Um, and then after that, it's really about proactive and automated systems. So we um, right now are looking into this, um, being able to have a system that um, understands, adapts, and then makes a recommendation um, in order to improve um, healthcare outcomes. So, you know, this person is, let's say, um, their heart rate is constantly elevated. Maybe we need to send them a push notification and sort of ask them, hey, how are you doing? Is everything okay, right? Something like that. And so um, those proactive systems, I think are gonna become even more important in the next five or 10 years. So it's interesting. I was reading a paper yesterday, the day before about how there's, when you make, to speed up memory, there's breakages that happen in the DNA to sort of in the neuron area that sort of 
helps the system adapt more quickly to a new memory. And so I want to say like you're talking about systems that have to be able to change part of the code to be able to then adapt to what it's now looking at. So sort of learning, but not learning the way that we think about learning. Yeah, so definitely. Um, I mean, there's also challenges with those systems because you can have them um, quickly move away from where the original prediction was, right? And so being able to have that um, monitoring is extremely important. So, you know, this, this is not a new idea. This is an old idea from the 80s about how you need to make like AI systems as collections of agents, right? So right. we're just sort of, you know, <laughs> digging up some of the old, <laughs> right. some of, you right. know, the old, uh, you know, thought around this. Um, but I think, you know, whereas it was extremely difficult to do 40 years ago, now it's actually, you know, relatively straightforward. And so I expect a lot of breakthroughs in that area. Well, and I think what, you know, some of the other areas that I see is sort of where you turn AI on itself to figure out how to improve what it does, um, like Google's doing with new chipsets and so forth and so on, which I think most people aren't factoring in the dramatic improvements that could be made when you turn these things on themselves. So the shifts or the what I like to call the turns are happening much faster than most people anticipate. Um, let's go back to healthcare for a second. So try taking today's you know trend in AI. Uh, looking forward a couple of decades, say 2040. Oh, shit, I'm going to be really old by then. Um, but how do you think technology will change the way patients interact with the healthcare system. And maybe it's earlier than 2040, so don't let me, you know, that might be too far out, but how, what do you predict is gonna happen at that point? Um, I think that uh, there's gonna be um, a much higher touch system in place. Um, so right now, most people go to the doctor um, for maybe they'll go for an annual checkup, maybe not, depending on how, <laughs> you know, who you are. Um, they'll, you know, go see a doctor when they have something go wrong where they feel sick or they have, you know, an injury or that kind of thing. Um, uh, they might go to like minor emergency if they, um, you know, had a, a sort of more serious injury or something happened there. Um, but true, the truth is, um, it's not an everyday sort of a thing, or probably it's not an every, you know, week or every month kind of thing for most people. I see that changing. I think that there's going to be sort of a continuous back and forth. Um, mm -hmm. There's going to be um, a much more sort of low friction way that anyone can communicate with a healthcare provider or even an AI system to get their um, healthcare um, questions answered. So, um, you know, I'm sure everybody has been in this situation where you have, you know, either you feel sick or you have some kind of a um, you know, you hurt yourself, there's there's something going on with your healthcare. And you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to actually call and book that appointment, and you're going to actually go down to the, you know, doctor's office, and you're actually going to talk to some somebody about how you're feeling. Um, I think that's going to disappear. I think it's going to be, um, you know, a lot of the sort of seemingly minor things are going to be um, sort of taken care of by 
um, a high touch technology system that can sort of direct people to a physician's care when they need to, but can handle sort of most other things that, that happen. And so that drastically reduces um, sort of the, the load for um, things that are, um, you know, people are avoiding for months and months and months. And then all of a sudden um, it gets really bad and they end up in the emergency room. So I see that being um, completely eliminated from the system. Yeah, well, that, that would be wonderful. It's funny because in my brain, I was going to, okay, the serious movie that lays all this out and it looks totally cool. And then the comedy where the person is totally like revolting against the system. But but I do agree. Like I, I, I truly believe um, that we're moving towards healthy care and hopefully away from sick care or we sort of push the sick stuff either out much farther, but like, I mean, you can't see it, it's under my shirt, but I've got a CGM, right, that I'm wearing under my shirt here. And so, you know, why am I wearing a CGM? I'm not diabetic, but I'm sort of monitoring, you know, don't eat, like, what was it we went to? I think I had bibimbap at a Korean restaurant. And man, whatever was in the rice made that blood sugar spike and totally stay up. So I'm like, okay, no more bibimbap. Like I saw, or if I do it, it's going to be once in a blue moon. Um, but I think these systems are going to be, you know, monitoring. Like I don't think there's anything we buy anymore. Your car, your computer, whatever doesn't have a monitoring system in it to sort of preventative maintenance or alert you before you know. Here's the meantime between failure, um, and and that's what I see happening and what we're doing. Yeah, we even get, uh, you know, I get my notification on, you know, screen time, like where I was spending time on my iPad, like which app I was doing, right? And so I feel like that's exactly where um, we're going to go to is where, you know, maybe every week you actually get a little sort of healthcare report or you get, you know, some some kind of Ooh. information. Yeah, that the delivery of that information is going to have to be there, we're going to need a few geniuses on how to deliver that to people because I can just see a few people having fits, right? Because my kids don't like the monitoring app. When I say, how long have you been on Instagram or Snapchat? And they're like, oh, not very long. And then you can see like the time and they don't like that. But do you believe like every doctor, nurse, physician assistant is going to have sort of an AI assistant working alongside them, sifting through patient data, um, highlighting what the doctor needs to focus on or translating cultural gaps. I'm I just, you're working on a system that sort of is trying to understand people, bridge that gap and sort of make things better. So I just see you're sort of at the beginning stage and I'm trying to go forward in the future to say, how would that just be the natural progression as it goes forward? Yeah, so I definitely see uh, multiple AI systems running behind the scenes that can um, sort of crunch the numbers and understand sort of some of the, um, you know, macro level patterns that um, can then, you know, sort of reinform the physicians, um, you know, with, you know, information that might be relevant. So, um, you know, one of the areas that we've done some work in is with um, rare diseases. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you probably 
have heard the um, saying, if you hear hoof beats behind you, what do you think it is? Do you think it's a horse or a zebra, right? So, um, you know, if you're a doctor and you see symptoms that match uh, extremely rare disease, a zebra, and something much more common, you're gonna assume, you're gonna guess that it's a horse. But for the patient, um, you know, going through that rigmarole, when you have a rare condition, when you are that zebra, that's a really difficult thing for the patient. And so if you can say, you know, this actually might be a zebra based on, you know, all of these other factors and all of these other sort of subtle cues, um, I think that that makes it better for everyone. I mean, for the, um, you know, for the physician who has access to pattern data that they would never be able to do by just sort of seeing patterns in their own patients um, right. and being able to look at that on just a much greater scale. And so that's an area where I think that, you know, there's going to be a huge, huge boom. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer in genomic sequencing, right, to mm -hmm. cut, <laughs> cut to the chase. And then, I, you know, I just interviewed Matthew Might, who looks at the genetic sequence and then helps identify already approved drugs that might actually impact that disease state. But, you know, there's, there's a, a number of things that are out there. It just, I just wish they moved faster into the existing environment. And that's what drives me. I mean, I think at some point, I don't know how any of the systems can function without implementing these tools right? That, that sort of are assistive in nature. Um, I've heard some venture guys say, oh, this is going to take the place of the doctor. And I'm like, oh my God, you're nuts. Like that's not going to happen. Um, but I think, cause I think every piece of data I've seen is the two together result in better outcomes rather than one or the other by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're exactly right on that. The idea is that maybe, um, you know, you have a sort of larger system of um, people that can support people in their um, healthcare. So instead of focusing on doctors and, and nurses, and then, you know, things like physiotherapists, etc, I see a role for sort of other support people within the healthcare system that can sort of guide patients to lead healthier lives aside from that. So um, if anything, I think that it's going to be, um, we're going to need no more people involved um, in doing some of these things. Yeah, I think, you know, I keep trying to encourage my brethren in the tech world to come to healthcare because it has more impact on on everything. And we need more people. There's just not enough people to do the computational work or you know, the real hard math sometimes that's that is required that I find people being pretty lazy at um, that 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 moves the needle. But, um, you know, it's it's been great talking to you. I, I This is fascinating. I would, you know, I almost wish I could turn your system on myself to find out what my biases are. Um, you, you know, you may want to come up with a consumer facing thing so that people can learn things about themselves um, and and maybe even relay that back to their own physician about how they want to be communicated with. 
Yeah, uh, I, I love that. I think that, uh, you know, right now um, we are actually working with a consumer facing application within the U.S. system. So um, hopefully someday you'll you'll be able to have access to it and you can learn all about yourself. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I think it's sort of, you know, I'm simplifying it, but sort of like a Myers-Briggs where, you know, I think I started out when I was younger, I was ENTJ and now I'm ENTP. But, you know, always good to know yourself. Um, great to speak to you. I wish you incredible success in your endeavors. And, uh, you know, we want to see systems like this making impact on patients and bringing hard data to the table to get even the system itself to sort of change the way that it operates. Wonderful. Well, it was great to talk to you. And, you know, it's always something that I am excited to chat about. So thank you for having me. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. You can find past episodes of The Harry Glorickian Show and The Moneyball Medicine Show at my website, glorickian.com, under the tab, Podcasts. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts to leave a rating and review for the show. You can also find me on Twitter at hglorickian, and we always love it when listeners post about the show there or on other social media. Thanks for listening, stay healthy, and be sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next interview.